0: Let's go ahead and uh, head back into the message I already started. <laughs> Luckily, it's on grace, so I'd appreciate some grace. Um, so yeah, yeah, I would. Um, I'd been listening to the cost of discipleship, and it, it was this idea of of costly grace. And then I was talking with a, a friend last weekend on, um, you know, when when you think of grace, what do you think of? And The topic that came up was forgiveness, um, especially undeserved forgiveness. Um, And so then later on, as I'm going throughout the week, you know, it was just kind of funny. Coincidence does not happen. Um, God was just so working this message together. Um, I was listening to some music, a a favorite artist of mine, Andrew Peterson, and he had this song where he's... um, Talking about a wife forgiving her husband for infidelity, um, and it was just this amazing image of, you know, how do you forgive someone after that kind of a betrayal? Um, and, and it just struck me as what a great image of showing grace. Um, the husband did not forgive or earn the forgiveness. The husband didn't deserve the forgiveness but she gave it anyways. Um, a- and so as I was thinking about that, I kind of saw there's sort of three, three things that could happen in that scenario. Um, as, the, as the husband, he could have done a few things. He could have tried to earn her forgiveness. Um, he could have tried to just ignore it, pretend like he did nothing wrong. Um, or he could have truly accepted that forgiveness and moved on. The first the first two approaches there are obviously the wrong approaches. Um, the first one is legalism. You know, he's trying to earn his way back to his wife when really the choice to forgive is complete, completely independent of anything he does. It's completely dependent on the wife forgiving. The second one would be um, kind of what we call license in this world. Um, you can you Want to get fancy, you could call it antinomianism. Um, it's kind of ant all it means is anti legalism, really. Um, but it's it basically just pretending like it wasn't wrong. Um, living living your life if that would be the husband living his life exactly the same that he was before that. Um, and today, though, I want to focus on the right response on the husband's part to that, which is accepting that grace. Um, and so with that, a lot of you guys probably, I mean, we've talked about grace. We talk about grace all the time in the church. You know, um, Some of you guys probably already filled in your, your little fill-ins on the bulletin. But um, just to define it up front, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Um, that's the first point on there, just to define it up front so we all know what we're talking about here. It is not something earned. Um, it's not something that uh, you can just... Um, dismiss either. It, it's, it's unmerited favor. Um, and so today we're going to compare that legalism and the license and then the understanding of the grace, which is the solution to both of those wrong approaches. Um, so um, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 2. One through ten, are the verses. Um, if you look at the book of Ephesians, it's it's six chapters. I, I I really recommend just reading it straight through. It's awesome to just read straight through that book because um, you see the first three chapters are are Paul just so excited about who God is, just praising God. He he just starts it off with "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ," and and then I I just imagine Paul sitting there. You know, he's writing all this stuff, and he just can't stop. Like, he's just so excited about who God is. He just keeps going with it and going. And then finally, he's like, oh, right, I, I got to get to what I'm actually writing this letter for. You know, and so then comes the last three chapters, which is the practical application of all of that. You know, because God is, is so great, because God showed us his grace, because of all this, we respond with right action. When we understand who God is and what he has done for us— Uh, the only right response is to follow him. And so you see in the last three chapters things like walk in a manner worthy of your calling, lay aside the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Uh, he who steals must steal no longer, you know, just very practical things that come out of a response to the first three chapters describing who he is and what he's done. Um, With that, I'll pray and then we'll read through it. Father, I just, uh, I thank you for grace. Um, I thank you that when we could not save ourselves, Lord, you did the work. Um, we were lost, we were, we were hopeless, and, and you came and you looked at us, even in our rebellion, and you chose to save us. Um, you chose to make us your own. You chose to adopt us. It's such an amazing thought to read these and to not be affected by it is just impossible. Um, God, I I pray that uh, our understanding of grace would grow, would be renewed, God, and that it would lead to right action, um, that it would lead toward a life of just serving you because we love you, not because we have to, but because we just plain love doing it. Um, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to to come to you this day and to, to read these words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Ephesians 2, um, that's page 674, if you've got one of these. Um, if anybody needs a Bible, anybody need one? Good, we have some in the back if anyone does. Um, all right, Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, So you see kind of uh, a few things happen in there. The, the first three verses are, are God basically laying the groundwork here. He's letting you know where you, are, where you were before Christ. If you don't know Christ, he's letting you know where you are. Um, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses. Um, yeah. I've heard people kind of refer to Jesus as like a crutch, like he kind of helps them through life. Yeah, dead men don't need crutches. Right, frankly. Um, he's not a crutch. He's, he's everything. Um, and so with that, if you're waiting to get your life kind of in order before you come to Christ, it's not going to work. Um, you need Christ to bring you to him. Um, it doesn't say that you were kind of going through this stumbling you were stumbling through life or you veered off the path a little bit and you got to get back on. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins in what you once walked. You were following the course of this world, um, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's, you were following Satan, um, prince of the power of the air. That is Satan right there. You are following him and you are a son of disobedience. And then I I think the key in this is Paul says in verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Now, Paul is writing these first couple of verses, talk about the sons of disobedience. He's he's referring to the Gentiles. He's talking about people that were far away from God. But then he says, among whom we all once lived. Now, Paul was (laughs) kind of the Jew of Jews. You know, he followed the law. He knew the law and right here he says, no, we all stand condemned. The, the disobedient and the law keeper, they are all condemned at this point. Um, they're all carrying out the desires of the body. They're different desires. The, the Paul, the legalist, is his desire is to do good because he's gonna earn his way to heaven, whereas the son of disobedience, his desire is to just do what he wants. Um, He wants to live the life that he feels he should live rather than following God's law. And so right now, you kinda take a look at these first three verses and we all know know, that this isn't where God left us, but really kinda keep in mind here, you you read these first three verses and, and if you don't know that Christ came and paid for these sins, you know, how desperate does this situation look? Um, there's zero hope in it. You know, I think it's good to take a step back and, and really ask yourself, where was I before Christ? If I didn't know Christ, who am I? You know, it's, it's like uh, when your car's in the shop and you all of a sudden don't have a car, that's when you realize how much you love having the car, right? It's, it's this great convenience, but we, we kind of get used to it. And, um, and then you, you lose it for that little bit and it is a real pain. Uh, like it, it really affects your life. Um, and I mean, I, I know that's kind of a weak comparison to the, to what's going on here, but it's, it's good to take a step back and have a reminder of how desperate was our situation if Christ did not come and pay for our sins. Um, Fortunately, as, as we do know, that's not where God left us. And, uh, in the next verse are, are like my two favorite words in, in, the, in all of this it's, but God yeah, I just love that we're in this terrible situation it's hopeless there's nothing we can do but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved God was not good with leaving you there. God was not good with leaving you walking in sin. He was not good with leaving you separated. And in the the immeasurable riches of his grace, he chose to do something about it. The only one who could. You could not do this yourself, and God knew that. So grace, that unmerited favor. Paul is saying in these first five verses, you don't, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve the grace, but God is going to give it to you anyways, because he loved you that much. Um, I just, (laughs) every time I I read this, I just, I I stop and I, I let it soak in because it's, is such a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Um, and that's why I love those words, but God. You know, we've sung, uh, the, there's a song that comes to mind. We, we didn't sing today, but I had to throw some some lyrics in here today just because I love it. But um, we've sung this song a few times recently, You Alone Can Rescue. And in one, one of the verses, it says, You, O Lord, have made a way the great divide you heal. For when our hearts were far away, your love went further still. Yes, your love goes further still. That's that immeasurable riches. It's the, the word for that. It basically means to to throw something even beyond measure. The the image I get in my head is somebody throws this ball and it just keeps going. You know, it just it comes around and smacks him in the head, you know, coming back around. Um, it's immeasurable. You can't you can't even fathom it. Um, and that's what it took to save us. So by grace, by that unmerited favor, you have been saved. And even more than that, he goes on in verse six to say, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he saved us, and then he raised us up, and he seated us with him. He went beyond what he had to because he wanted to show us his love. Um, To go back to that that image of the the husband and the wife earlier. um, Are we watching some sports now too? Sweet. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> oh man. All right. Um <laughs> that'll break the ice, right? Um Where was I? Okay, so so by grace you have been saved. Now let's let's go into that first or that next fill in. Um salvation comes through grace, not works. By grace you have been saved not by your works. Um, To go back to that that story of the husband earlier, he could have earned his way or tried to earn his way back to his wife but really that choice on the wife's part to forgive was completely independent of anything he would do. Um, No works that he did could earn that forgiveness and no works that we do can earn God's forgiveness. When God forgives, he forgives wholly. Um, He doesn't Expect you to keep some law in order to keep that forgiveness. He's going to forgive you, and then he's going to separate those sins as far as the east is from the west. It says, Um, it's it's not this forgiveness where God's going to kind of like prod you every now and again and go, hey, hey, remember that time you did that thing, you know, and then you start feeling guilty about it and and you feel like you got to do more works to keep it. He forgives and then it's gone. It is a complete forgiveness. Um, And beyond that, uh, my wife and I, we were talking last night and we were were, uh, looking at at this legalism and something that kind of struck us was it's offensive to God to think that you still need to earn it. It is offensive to look at the cross and say, well, that was really great and loving, but I don't think that's enough. God went all the way. He took care of all of it. It is offensive to God to say, "I don't think He did quite enough, so i 'm going to keep working at this, and hopefully I can earn your grace." God doesn't want you to do that. He doesn't want you to stay there. Um, he doesn't want you to to go through life bemoaning all the mistakes you've made. He wants you to rest in that grace. So then in verse six he says raised us up and and seated us with him. This is such a beautiful image. I I think of the the, uh, baptism. You know, we do baptism, and it's the second part of that. You've been raised to newness of life. So not only has he forgiven you, he's given you a completely new life. He's given you, in chapter one, Paul talks of the inheritance that we have, um, and that is we have heaven. (laughs) We get to go and be with him forever. We are citizens of heaven, that is our inheritance um, as as ones who have been adopted by God in his grace. You'll forgive me, I'm not used to this, so... <laughs> The, um, the extent to which he went, you know, we were talking about it can't be measured. And this is what, what Bonhoeffer talks about in that book, the, the cost of discipleship, that costly grace. It cost him everything. Um, it cost him his son's life. This is that immeasurable riches. It is, it is the life of Christ given for you. Verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so just to reemphasize again, it's like he can't, he can't stop reminding us that this is all God taking care of us. For by grace you have been saved. He reemphasizes it. Um, he reminds us again, we couldn't do any of this. We couldn't do any of this ourselves. But he was so full of love for us that he did it anyways. Um, it is the gift of God. The thing I, I, I look at that, and I think to myself, you know, I, sometimes when I, when I do something where I feel like, oh, yeah, really, that was a great work, you know, and it, it can sometimes be this sort of prideful thing, like, you know, look what I did. It's the gift of God that allows you to even do that. He leaves no room for you to sit back and say, look what I did. It is what God did. And not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There it is. You can't boast in this. There is no room for you to boast. There is only room for you to point to God and say, look how amazing my God is that he did this for me. And to look at that and and to, to understand where you were. And um, I think that... The main thing that I think about with that is sometimes it's really easy to look at people who don't know Christ and say, Wow, that person is terrible. Like, they're beyond anything. <laughs> God does not say that. God looks at them just in the same way He looked at you, that you could not save yourself, but He could. He could change your heart. He can change that other person's heart. And so for us to look at other people that don't believe in Christ and to say, that person's beyond saving, is wrong. It, to look at them judgmentally and to say, you know, I can't believe the sins that he is walking in. <laughs> you were walking in sin too. You had, you had no desert of grace, um, but God showed it anyways. And, and remembering that allows us to show grace to those people as well, um, to look at them and remember that God loves them as well. That God, that God can make a way for them. It is, we can't do it, they can't do it, but God can. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word um, for workmanship, it's the Greek word poema, we get the word poem from which you look at a poem and you look at you look at a poet right and and they're writing something and it's it's not this cold and detached sort of thing it's it's involved they have this idea in their head that they want to bring to life or some emotion or feeling that they want to bring to life and it it becomes this personal creation for them you are a personal and purposeful creation god created you because he had a reason to and he did it intimately. Um, we have <laughs> children's books sometimes are like the greatest way to learn some of these concepts. We have this book called um, You Are Special by Max Lucado and it's about this village of, of these little wooden puppets called Wemmicks, I don't know where he got the name from, but um, there's this one Wemmick who is just kind of this outcast um, they would walk around with these gold star or gold star stickers or these gray stickers, and if somebody did something good, they'd get this gold star, and if they did something silly, they'd get this gray star. And this one Wemmick was just covered in gray stars all the time or gray stickers all the time, and was constantly just cast out. And one day he meets someone who the stickers don't stick to. Um, and he's like, "Well, that's really cool. I, I want to be like that." And she tells him to go up to the hill to the guy who made, to the to, the um, carpenter who made them. And so one day he goes up there and he walks in. and He's kind of looking around. He's a little scared because it's this huge room. And he starts walking out and he hears this voice that calls for him. And he turns around and he says, you know who I am? And the response from the worker is, of course I know who you are. I made you. You know, it's this I think of that, and I I see that. And the first time we read this book, it was like, oh my goodness, like it's so intimate. Um, He created us with a purpose, with meaning. Um, And then the question, though, is why? So why did he create us? We know there's a purpose. We know it was intimate. But why did he do it? Um, He didn't rapture us immediately. So it wasn't just simply so that we could go to heaven. That's part of it. we, We will have eternity with him. But that wasn't the only reason. So you look on and it says, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were created for good works, which God created. You were not created for apathy. You were not created for indifference to the suffering of others. You weren't created for boredom or laziness. You weren't created so that you could ignore the the words God has given us. You weren't made so that you can show up here on Sunday and hear some message and get fed and, and leave. That's that's part of it. You know, we love the fellowship here and the, um, being in God's word. But that's not... The only reason that you were created. You were created for good works which God prepared beforehand. And again, we have no room for boasting because God created those good works. You don't have a responsibility to make good works happen, you have a responsibility to walk in the good works that God already prepared. Um, <laughs> and you have to make that choice to do it. You can not walk in the good works which God prepared but that's not why he made you I, I think of one time I was, I was driving into work and it was kind it was pretty early and there was this van on the side of the road with, the, with his flashers on and then I noticed like half a mile later he was carrying this gas can down to the gas station and it kills me to this day but I did not stop I didn't stop and I fully believe that that was a good work that God had prepared for me That I made a choice to not walk in. And, uh, (laughs) you know, you look back on some of those and it's like, man, that was, that whole day I was at work, like, what was I thinking? You know, and it was like, oh, I gotta get into work because I got so much to do. And I mean, really? What kind of excuse is that? Um, And so we have a, a responsibility to walk in those good works. And so the, uh, the third fill-in that we have is, "Because of grace, we do the works." So now we walk in good works. If you go back to verse two, he says, um, "And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked." We no longer walk in those. We don't walk in our trespasses and sins. We walk." In the good works that God has prepared before us, because of His grace. If you go back to that that parallel of the husband and the wife, where the wife forgave the husband for the infidelity, we were talking about kind of a few approaches that could be taken to reconcile that or to ignore it. Um, you know, the wife could have could have done the dishes and and made a dinner and kept the house clean and put the seat down, or you know. There was any number of things you could have tried to do to earn that favor back. But then, as, I, as I was writing these things, I was like, oh, that just sounds so silly in the face of what, what he's done. And I thought, well, yeah, it is silly, you know? What is doing the dishes in the face of infidelity? It, it's, you look at that and you go, what is, what is that going to solve? And then you look at where we were with God and what is these things that we do? We do these good works in the face of what God had to pay in order to bring us to him. They're nothing. Just in the same way that that making your wife a dinner to try to make up for infidelity makes no sense. Um, Her choice to forgive was completely independent of anything that he would do. The other approach, the the license or the the antinomianism, if you're talking with a friend and want to sound really smart, um, was for the husband to just simply be unconcerned with the forgiveness. He could have just kind of kept on going and doing what he was doing and just been thankful for the forgiveness, but not really cared a whole lot about it. Just looked at it and gone, well, I'm already forgiven. I might as well just kind of keep going on doing what I'm doing. But that's not repentance that's that's not a recognition of the, of how much it cost that wife to forgive that was not easy I, I mean any of us who have been in even you those of you who aren't married or um you know what it's like to be let down you know what it's like to let somebody else down um, It's not easy to forgive in those situations and so when you when you are forgiven and you keep going on and doing what you're doing you're basically just saying that you don't really care about the forgiveness um, so in these verses there was, there was kind of three reasons that God gave for why he showed that grace um, if you look back through those make this interactive, actually. So um, there were three reasons given. Um, Anybody want to come up with any of those, make this interactive, a little fun? First one is in verse 4. So he did it because he loved us. Out of the, all of the love that he had, he chose to show us grace. Second one is in uh, verse seven. What is it? The, yep, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. And the last one was, uh, just talked about it there in verse 10. that we would walk in the good works which God prepared beforehand. And so if, if God, out of his love and out of the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us, made a way for us to walk in his good works, how can you not, I think is the question. Um, when you understand grace, you can, you can do these good works and it's not a legalistic thing. Because you just understand that you can't earn the way, anyways. You can never earn the way. But you look at God and, and the love that He showed you and the immeasurable riches of His grace, and you go, How can I not do these good works? He already prepared them. I just need to walk in them. And so, the husband in that story, you know, he's forgiven by his wife. And he knows he couldn't have earned his way back. But Do you think he's just going to keep going on with his life the way he was, completely ignoring that forgiveness? No, it's going to change him, because, and and not because he feels like he still has to make it right. He knows he can't balance those scales. It's going to change him because he is so in love with that person that forgave him, because he knows the character of that person who forgave him. He knows what it cost that person who forgave him. And so it changes his life. It changes, you know, maybe he will start making dinner and doing the dishes more often and stuff like that, but not because he's trying to earn his way back. It's just because he loves his wife. That's it. He's seen the grace that she showed, and it, it changes you when you see that grace and when you understand that grace. And so the, the point I want to make with that is sometimes we get so afraid of, of legalism that we kind of maybe almost avoid doing good works. We kind of we rely on our feelings sometimes to guide us in some of these choices we make. Um, and I think the cure to that is just understanding grace. It, it's, it's understanding that you can't make the way anyways, but God saved you. God showed his grace, and so I'm going to do what he has called me to do because I love him. And that's the only reason. And so, you know, the, the idea that comes to my mind is, is making this plan to, to be in the word and pray daily. You know, so, some people can make a legalistic thing out of that. Some people can think that if they're really good at doing that, you know, they're in favor with God. But when you understand grace, you're going to do it just simply because God has called you to do it, not because you're trying to make your way back. You know, there's, there's times where, you know, I have this plan to, to read and pray daily and there were times I didn't really feel like doing it. It's like, ah, I just, I, I'm in school right now, right? And so I'm, I'm like, ah, I gotta get to homework and, and get going on that. But, but I sat down and I did it anyways. And I walked away from that being renewed in my enjoyment and my excitement of being in the word. You know, if I, if I relied on feelings all the time to make these choices, I'd go through a ton of dry spells because there are plenty of times that I don't feel like doing something, even though God has called me to do it. And so to kind of go back through those points, it's, you know, we, we recognize first and foremost that we are saved by grace, not by works. You allow that to change your, your outlook on the works. And then because of grace, we do the good works that God has called us to. With a proper understanding of grace, you avoid the legalism and you avoid the license and you just rest in the good works that God prepared. Um, Just to kind of wrap this up. I'm gonna end up going super short, so when? No. Um, But, uh, kind of wrap this up. I just wanted to, there's a few reference verses in, in your notes there. Um, don't flip to them. I'm going to go through them kind of quick, but just as like a an encouragement to walk in these good works, an encouragement to, to look at God and say, wow, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for me. Um, I'm just going to read through them fairly quick, and then... Um, I've got a, uh, a quote from Bonhoeffer in that book that, that kind of wraps it all up. He says it better than I could have. Um, to Matthew 13, 40, or sorry, first one's Luke 9:61 to 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God calls you and you go. And you go because of his grace. Next one, I actually didn't have in there, um, but uh, last night I added it in. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. That's 1 Corinthians 6.20. Understanding the, the, the price that was paid for you to walk in those good works. So glorify God in your body. Matthew 5.39, this is the grace, or, um, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you in the right cheek, turn to him the also the other one also this is the grace that as a Christian you can be wronged and then turn the other cheek and you can forgive because you understand that you're forgiven Matthew sixteen twenty-four to 25 and Jesus told his disciples if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it um, at the bottom of your bulletin, I, I, I wrote down there, the one who understands the grace of God that has been given is the one who hears the call to take up his cross and without a moment's hesitation reaches down, picks it up, and determined to walk in the good works God has prepared, asks, where to? Matthew eighteen twenty-one to 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And that is to say, there's no end. There's no end to the forgiveness that we get. There should be no end to the forgiveness that we give. And so this costly grace, um, Bonhoeffer said, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it because it costs God the life of His Son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us, get that, what has cost God much, cannot be cheap for us, above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us, and so just to kind of wrap this up here, um, like I was saying earlier, we kinda, we've all heard grace, right? We talk about it all the time, and I think sometimes with, with terms like that, we can, we can forget the impact of it, the, the impact the first time we heard it, what it really meant to us, what it, what it did in our lives, how it changed our hearts. Um, it kind of just becomes this term we throw around sometimes. And so I want us to walk out of here with kind of a renewed and refreshed understanding of what it cost God to show us that grace what God has called us to do because of it. All right, I'll pray, and then um, we will be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this time to be together today. Lord, and I I thank you for the opportunity to be up here, to be in your word. Um, I thank you for calming my nerves, and... uh, Lord, I just thank you for, um, I thank you for your grace, Lord. I pray that uh, every day you'd renew my understanding of that grace. You'd renew my understanding of what it cost you to show that grace. Um, God, that you'd help us to not walk in legalism or walk in license, but to just know your grace and to follow you just simply because we love you. God, I, uh, I just pray that we'd remember that this week and, and through our lives, Lord, and that we'd, we'd long to show others that grace as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.